Well, I got excited because I was walking here from Nick's house in Hell's Kitchen, and I saw Gavin Creel on the street, and you know, I have like a big old talent crush on Gavin Creel, and I walked right into a pole. <laughs> <laughs> Literally smashed into scaffolding. Oh, that's so cute and embarrassing. I really hope he didn't see that. Yeah, not the kind of pole I'm trying to run into during Pride. Yeah. Is that too much? That pole is homophobic. <laughs> to our last episode of Wonderland Murders, and welcome to I Think Not, the podcast where Joey Taranto and me, Ellen Marsh, recap all of your favorite true crime shows, and I mean all of them. We're hitting them all. Yeah. And if we don't hit them here on the regular feed, we hit them on the Patreon. It's true. I feel like what's a real crime against America is the real housewives of anything. Maybe we'll eventually cover that, because it feels like a crime against America. I feel like I'm taking that personally, because I do watch some of the housewives and I feel like it's a personal attack but I also do agree that it is sort of a crime against humanity but I'm feeling conflicted you know listen I'm not trying to yuck your yum whatever makes you happy I'm just saying a bunch of whiny rich women complaining about the Chardonnay I feel like that's what they argue over no they're complaining is it Sauvignon Blanc no no they're complaining about a lot of things there's scams there's flams there's flim flams there's shim shams bravo 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 there's a lot there's a lot until you know you don't know if you would like more Joey and I and we are not covering the housewives on the Patreon you can join us there you will get three full bonus episodes plus our true crime adjacent episode that is four episodes Mm -hmm. bonus a month plus you can get ad free and all kinds of stuff you can be in our close friend circle let me tell you when the close friend circle is really fun it's when we're on tour oh yeah because the close friends really really get to know us in a much deeper and biblical way yeah just us stoned at a holiday inn express talking shit to steel magnolias it happens anyway you can find us there at patreon.com slash i think not and there is tons of nonsense there for you to download and binge as soon as you become a member. So I hope you will join us in the drama club. Anything else before we get to the show, my darling? Jesus loves you and uh, I do too. Okie dokie. For those of you who care, I have my notes on my phone today. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Be blessed. Season two, episode four, Deadly Decision. My sister, she loved being adventurous. She loved the Pacific Northwest. She seemed to have it all. She got her master's degree in economics. She worked as a hydrologist. She just really stood out from the crowd. Tiffany was like a shining comet going through the sky. Just wait a minute. Then one night, everything went dark. Please, don't shoot, okay? Why did you have to shoot her in the head? You wonder to yourself, who would want to kill somebody that is that smart? Until several surveillance videos reveal a shocking motivation and more than just one unusual suspect. Yeah, I don't really remember what she looked like. What do you think the guy is now? I didn't want anything to do with that girl. I thought of Bill. Immediately. The layers of suspicion were building. I need to speak to every single one of those people. They're most likely the people that last saw Tiffany alive. You know, I've been thinking about this. And they need to change the name of this show from Wonderland Murders to, like, what the fuck, Wonderland? 
Or Jesus don't live here no more, Wonderland. Yeah. Or help us, we have been forsaken, Wonderland. Because all of these are very fucked up. They really, really are. It is October 8th, 2013. And we're jumping right in with Sergeant John Harrington from the Oregon State Police. And he tells us that a jogger is jogging. Now, I... <laughs> One thing about a jogger, well, he, a jogger going to jog. He's going to jog. Now, I don't know what the call for the audition was for this jogger, but have you ever seen Phoebe Buffay run? <laughs> uh, yes, I have. This jogger was giving, <laughs> I feel like it was intentional. I feel like he was fucking around. He's like, okay, what if I jog like this? And then they were like, keep it. We're keeping it. Because it looks like a cross between someone who's never run before in their life and also someone, you know when someone does that fake run like they're trying to cross the street a little bit faster? Yes. You know that run that people do when someone's like, I got it. It's like, you're running, but you're not running. You're walking and you're pumping your arms. Or they trip and then they go into a jog. Yeah, it's all of that. It's very odd. Yeah, it's all of that. And I also want to say, it's not that I'm anti-running because I'm not. I don't like running because of the size of my boobs. Mm. But (laughs) I just want people who run to know that they don't have to. Okay. You heard it here for breaking news. (laughs) I just say. On I Think Not. You can do it. I want everyone to do whatever makes them happy. But I want everyone to have that information. I have some information for you. What? Now, you said you don't run not just because of your boobs. Like, when you run, do your boobs, like, bounce up and down? Yeah, and it it genuinely hurts. Yeah. Can I tell you that I overheard my mother saying once that when she would go to church, because, you know, we do praise and worship and everybody would jump up and down. But my mother would wear two bras so that her boobs didn't jiggle while she praised the Lord. Right. That is a true Listen, story. if you are intensely praising the Lord, that can be cardio. Hey, listen, this is what I want to say. Jiggle for Jesus. If your titties are jiggling, they jiggling for the Lord while you do that song and dance. I'm going to start a new podcast called Jiggling for, for Jesus. Jesus. Hi, Sister Janet. How are you? I saw you over there. Praise be. You were jiggling for Jesus. Yes, you were. Praise be. Uh, a jogger had uh, run by a popular jogging spot in Blue Lake Park. And in the grass, there was a woman found who was dead. Buckle up, because this poor jogger, running like an idiot or not, is just minding his own business when he finds a woman laying in the grass, dead. And that's when we meet Detective Brad Robertson of the Fairview, Oregon Police Department, who tells us about getting that call. Now, here's the thing. There's only 10,000 people who live in Fairview. And getting a call about a homicide is not a usual occurrence here. Mm-hmm. I know you hate that so much. I do. I, know. I hate it. I, I it, We've heard it more on this show because we're in the Pacific Northwest for this show mm-hmm. and there are tons of small towns but guess what my friends? They made a whole show about it. It's true. The Wonderland Murders is all about your part of the world. I know. So lock your doors. Yeah. Everybody. So Brad goes to see the victim and they notice that she has been shot in the head. She is fully clothed. Now she's in the middle of the grass, not around trees, not hidden in any way. I mean, imagine, really, I'm not trying to be funny here, just showing up to, like, soccer practice. Yeah. And she is really just in the middle of this grass. Yeah, and, you know, they can see where the bullet entered, also where it exited in her head. Also, something that they noticed was the victim was found holding her credit cards and her ID in her right hand Mm -hmm. next to her purse. Yeah. So they're like, 
was she trying to hand these to the shooter? So they look at the woman's ID, and the victim is 35-year-old Tiffany Jenks. And in her purse, they find two cell phones. Her ID says that she lives in Portland, and there's not a lot of evidence at the scene of the crime. Again, she's in the middle of this grassy area. Not hidden. No. Not anywhere. It is so curious and upsetting. Detectives then fan out to look for any possible witnesses. Ultimately, we find a person that lives about a quarter to a half a mile away said he heard a single gunshot at about 2.33 o'clock in the morning. Thank you for your time. We're hoping that's an approximate time of when the, the murder occurred. So they canvass the neighborhood around Blue Lake Park, and they speak to someone who was like, yeah, I heard one gunshot at like 2.30 in the morning, three, something like that. You know what? Honestly, this is a great show. This show is dark. I'm going to call someone to lighten the mood. Okay, fine. Am I on the radio? (laughs) (laughs) Christopher, this show is dark. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is true crime. Yeah. We've established. So we need you to lighten the mood. You were like, Wonderland, that sounds delightful. Like white rabbits frolicking through the... Yeah, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know it was going to be dark as shit, but this is our last episode we're covering, and I love it. It's a great show. Yeah, but they need to change the title, I said, Christopher, to maybe like God Has Forsaken Us Wonderland. (laughs) God Has Forsaken Us Land. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, there are no wonders in this Wonderland. Yeah. So lighten the mood. Ready? One, two, three, go. (laughs) Well, Father's Day is coming up. Uh huh. Nice, no way, nice, it. real nice. Neither of us have one. Great. Yeah, mine's dead too. Oh! <laughs> Do you guys ever listen to yourselves? Sometimes. Yeah. Well, we have to just to make sure that we uh we still got it, Chris. We got to make sure that we still got the juice. Do you have notes on our previous episodes? You know, I have an impression of the episode that came out today, which I don't know what day that is now. Okay. The one in East Hampton, Connecticut. Okay. So Joey's saying, and then and they go to the cold case department, and you're like, Joey's cold case department. Cold case. I know I say that sometimes, but yeah. Anyway, so they go to the cold case department. You said it again, <laughs> and then you guys cut to the clip, and you hear one of the detectives. It's not Joe, but one of the detectives, and he's like, so anyway, we sent that off to the cold case department. But. I don't. I can't tell the difference. I just thought it was funny that then you guys cut to a clip, which I don't think you you know hear till later. And the guy's saying it the same way Joey said it. So. <laughs> well, uh, listen, most men are stupid. Th- that's fair. <laughs> Detectives check out Tiffany's last known Portland address, and discover she moved out months ago. Fairview PD then contact Tiffany's sister Jennifer, who lives across the state. Yes, this is Jennifer. I mean, you don't expect to get that phone call. It was immediate grief. And I just kind of went into shock. I don't remember really what I did. So they go to Tiffany's last address, and it turns out she had moved. And they were like, oh, okay. So they go to tell the family. They tell her sweet sister Jennifer. They give her the bad news. And her sister Jennifer is here. And then they tell Mama Kate. So sad. And they said that it was all over the news all of the time. I can't imagine managing all of that. So much thrown at them all at once. Bless their hearts. And then they give us some backstory on Tiffany. She came from a pretty big family. She's one of six. That's a lot of kids. And they grew up in Crane, Oregon, which was also a pretty small town. And Mama Kate is talking of Tiffany's dad and basically says how Tiffany and her dad had a very, very special bond. 
They were really close. Tiffany had a master's in economics. Yeah. I mean, that is, I've got a master's in economics. I just use a lot of coupons. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like is, is a master's in something. Yeah, somewhere. So sadly, Tiffany's dad was diagnosed with brain cancer and he died five months later. And Tiffany had a bit of a breakdown, which I get, you know, the death of a parent, whether it's sudden or expected, is something we can both attest to that you never prepare for emotionally. It's interesting because grief is so unique. Yeah. And I think about this all the time because nobody ever grieves in like the same way. And your particular grief can be sort of like influenced by the relationship that you had with that person. Right. Which is great because I don't know if I told you this, but did I tell you that my mom made a promise to never die? I did. Yeah, I did tell you that. Yeah, Yeah, you did. That's something I don't ever have to worry about. But thank you so much. It was very (laughs) evident that that was sort of like. Her little, I don't like to say her person, but it was like, you know, her bestie. Yeah, she had a very hard time managing that. And that's the other thing. I I always try to encourage people, like, go to a counselor if you can to really make sure that you grieve. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people avoid the grieving process. Oh, yeah. And you can't really because it all, it does. And at the most inopportune times. Yeah, you cannot, there's three things you can't avoid. The IRS, Mm -hmm. grief, and chlamydia. Anyway, back to our show. Uh, (laughs) I'm trying to help the people. Uh, No, it's good advice. It was when he died that the drinking really started. She knew she had a problem. She tried to quit. She went into rehab a couple of times. She went to AA a lot. But her episodes were closer and closer together, so it started affecting her work. And so, you know, at some point she just decided that she had to separate from her job. Here's the thing. Tiffany had a pretty high stress job. She worked as a hydrologist. And because Tiffany was struggling, she started managing her grief by using alcohol. Yeah. And that alcohol became a problem and it became eventually like a lifelong struggle for her. Yeah. And it only became worse and exacerbated when her dad passed and she was in and out of rehab and AA. And it's interesting, actually, because grief and addiction are so deeply linked that grief work is often a part of recovery. Yeah. You know, because it is. There's so many traumatic things like under the surface in a lot of substance use disorders. Yeah. And it really, really hit her really hard. Yeah. It's a lot to process. And Unfortunately, she had a job as a hydrologist, which was a very high stress job for her. And she was sort of in and out of rehab. And eventually she realized, I cannot maintain this job while fighting for my sobriety. And she left her job. Well, her idea was she was going to write a book and travel about her road to recovery and what that looked like for her, because obviously everybody's road is different. And she thought also that could help her on her long road to recovery. Yeah. You know, and I just want to say, like, my heart goes out to every single person who is fighting to manage their own sobriety. I'm rooting for you. It's not easy. I've seen people I love battle with it. It's not an easy thing. And ask for help if you need it. The smartest people know when to ask for help. So the detectives asked the family, so if she wasn't working, what was she doing for money? And her sister Jennifer said, well, Tiffany was a beautiful woman. And then she went on to say this. She liked to wear the newest styles. Her appearance was important to her, but she wasn't working anymore. And so she was willing to put herself in 
situations with men that she didn't really care for because they had money. It wasn't healthy. And that's when Sister Jennifer tells detectives about a man Tiffany met a year ago named Bill Ryan. Yeah, she was working late one night and she heard music coming from an apartment and she just walked into that apartment to see what was going on. Yeah. Not in a million years. Not in a, I would rather sew my head to the carpet than go be like, what are those strangers doing up there? Playing the best of the Foo Fighters. I have, <laughs> What's wrong with that? I have no desire to go and hang out with strangers and meet friends. Absolutely not. I will say it's a very strong choice because it could go either way. If you walk into a stranger's house and like, hey, I just heard the music, they're going to be like, either get the fuck out or that's wild. Yeah. Passing like a party. Are you ever like, huh, seems fun. Well, Let me go say hi. No. I will say Tiffany was a beautiful woman. And this was Bill's home. And he probably was like, wow, that was really ballsy of you. And you're beautiful. And I see an opportunity and I'm going to take it. So Bill asked her, like, do I know you? She said, no, but I wanted to hang out. And he's like, well, let me get you a drink. And then they started hanging out and then they started dating. And then she moved in with him. Yeah. Again, after I sew my head to the carpet, I would swallow it because no thank you. Yeah. it wasn't a great relationship. No, it was He was, was really not. controlling. He was really negative. It was tumultuous. He was abusive. I mean, Sister Jennifer and Mom Kate never met Bill, but they had seen the bruises that he left on her. So they were on again, off again constantly. And eventually it led to them both filing for restraining orders against each other, which I didn't even think you could do that. I thought you could only one person could do it against one person, but both people can do it simultaneously. Yes. I won't ask how you know that. And so... <laughs> The detectives began looking into Bill. He was certainly someone that we were uh, focused on right from the get-go. And we heard that he'd had some run-ins with the Portland Police Bureau. So I called up my friend Molly Dahl over there, who I'd worked other cases with, to see what she knew about him and what she could find out about him. Hey, it's John Harrington with the OSP. I'm calling because I wanted to get some intel on uh, Bill Ryan. Uh, I'll talk to Vice and see what they have on the guy, and I'll get back to it as soon as possible. Okay, thank you. It's no problem. Our bestie Molly Dahl from the other episode, John Harrington calls Molly Dahl and they are trying to figure out any information they can about Bill Ryan. They go to his house. Did you ever see the movie Sliver with, I feel like, the youngest One of the Baldwin, Baldwin brother yeah, and with all Sharon the Stones? Yeah. Yes, I he had did. All the, yeah. That's all I could think of because this guy's house was covered in cameras. Yeah. Remember Sliver? His house was covered in cameras. The whole apartment building was in New York. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's why. Well, anyway, that's what's happening. Great soundtrack. Cameras everywhere. So they go to Bill Ryan's place full of cameras, cameras everywhere, and they inform him yeah. that Tiffany has been murdered. He was nervous and uncooperative. Two words I do not want associated with anybody. That learns that something bad has happened to me. I want them to be sad and helpful. Yeah. I don't want nervous and uncooperative. Well, I will say, if two cops show up to tell me about someone that I was dating who passed away, and then they're like, can we sit and talk to you? And I'm like, am I a suspect? I'm going to be nervous. You know what I mean? Obviously, I would be distraught, but Bill sounds like a real stand-up person. Yeah. Because also, when they say to him, like, you seem kind of weird, like, once we told you that Tiffany died, and he goes, it was inevitable. Nice, Bill. Yeah. Real nice. Yeah. So Bill's great. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing weird about Bill. 
So he's like, you know what? I saw her the night before. She took a cab to my house. She was drunk and argumentative. And he was so blasé about it. He's like, yeah, she had stuff here. I don't know. I'm just like, do you not want to shed a tear, my guy? Yeah. Well, apparently he kicked her out of the house and she left a whole ass suitcase behind. Yeah. And they were like, cool. Two things. Can we see your security footage? And also, can we look in that suitcase? And Bill was like, one, you may not. Two, you also may not. Yeah. Three, get the fuck out of my house. Yeah. Bill is no Ronald McDonald saying, come over here and play in my playhouse. And is that what Ronald McDonald said? I think so. I don't remember that. He said it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I saw. I heard it. He said, come on over here and play in my house? Play in my play place. Ronald McDonald said, come on over here. Have a cheeseburger. I believe what he said was, uh, he has an accent. He was like, yeah, come over here and um, play in the balls where the kids pee and (laughs) cheeseburger. Ronald McDonald is from Sweden. Yeah. Interesting. Say more. Huggy, huggy, huggy. Burgers and nuggets. (laughs) I love kids. I feel like... I feel like you're making stuff up. Come meet my friend Grimace. <laughs> you know the kids don't know who Grimace is. I know. And the Hamburglar. The Hamburglar. The Hamburglar. I mean, honestly, like, out of all of the people, I would also be the Hamburglar because at least the Hamburglar, like, got burgers out of it. You know, honestly, I think we can leave all of them back in the 80s. It's fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you remember the big Hamburglar thing that you could play in? Like, you climbed up it and his head was like a jail and you could shake it? Maybe they didn't have that where you were from in Oakland. Maybe y'all just had a good old showbiz. Not us. We were playing in the pee balls over at the play place. Yeah, higgy, higgy, higgy. So where do you think she'd go after coming here? I don't know. No car, kicked out, pissed off. Because of the location where his house is and where his business is, we had detectives start canvassing that area and looking for where she might have gone. Detectives also unlocked Tiffany's phones but find no clues that lead them in a specific direction. However, when they look into the final transactions on her credit cards, they get a hit. And they canvas Bill's neighborhood. They also get finally into Tiffany's two cell phones, but there's nothing of consequence in there. However, they look at her credit card records and that is when they get a clue. Right, they see that she checked into a hotel nearby and they cross-reference it with the surveillance footage, very see no evil, And they see that she was there at about 10.30 p.m. And so detectives are thinking Bill could have easily called her, met up with her, either at the hotel or elsewhere. So now detectives are focusing on trying to create a timeline for Tiffany's night and how in the world she ended up in Blue Lake Park. So there was a place that was a bar slash gentleman's club. I don't know why we need to specify because I feel like every gentleman's club would have a bar. And also, why don't we just call it what it is, a strip club? Can't we just call it boys want to see boobies? Yeah, booby, from, a from, booby bar. A booby bar. Yeah. Gentleman's I have never met a gentleman at any club. I will tell you that. There's like six gentlemen left and they all listen to this podcast. <laughs> And, that, and that's about it. And yeah. listen, also, I don't want a gentleman. You what? I don't, huh? You don't want a gentleman? What? Yeah, you want a rough rider. That's what you want. <laughs> oh, Ralph no, the Rough Rider. I actually, I actually am very, very taken by chivalry. I really, really am. Because you've never experienced No, it. I actually had a boyfriend many, many years ago that was like very chivalrous. I've talked about him on the podcast before. Yeah. He always used to walk on the street side. 
who yep. used to walk on the street side of the street made it a point to. Yeah. Whenever someone goes the extra little tiny mile to be chivalrous, I'm like, and the panties just drop. Wow. Right there. That's... Really easy. <laughs> Ellen, are you pregnant again? He said thank you. <laughs> After I gave him a beach. Come on. A beach? What? I don't want to say blowjob. My mom listens to this podcast. Does she? <laughs> well, if I open a strip club, I'm just going to get right to it and call it titty and tequila. Titty and tequila. One titty. You only get one titty. Okay, Christopher. Yeah. If you were to own a titty bar, what would the name be? Uh, I'd have to go with thanks for the memories. <laughs> <laughs> or ta-ta for now. Yes, that's good. I like that. Excuse me. Detective Robertson, this is Detective Harrington. We need to ask you a couple of questions. Guys, it's not a great time. We're kind of busy. Uh, we wanted to see if a particular woman was here last night. You recognize her? We explained more of the facts of our case of what we were looking into and the severity of it, the seriousness of it. Yeah, she was here. Was she alone? I don't know. Uh, we were pretty slammed last night. So the detectives head to the Titties and Tequila Club and they show Tiffany's pick to the bartender who remembers seeing her, but doesn't remember much more than that because they were busy. Yeah, the bartender really wants to make it a point that they were busy. Yeah. She's like, do you know who this is? She's like, I can't, I'm busy. Do you yeah. remember? I don't know, I was busy. I'm yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Ping Pong Patty was in town yeah. and she was doing a bit. Have you seen Ping Pong Patty? Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but we do have security cameras here. So if you want to look at footage, you're more than welcome to it. And they're like, we do. Yeah. And she was there. She was alone. And they see her come in at about midnight. You're starting your night at midnight. Oh, my God. I was exhausted as soon as they said that. She walks through the front door and she sits there for a couple of hours, kind of talking to people as they come and go. And then she went outside and sat on a bench. And it was basically the smoking section. And we see her sitting and chatting. And one man in particular comes up and sits very close to her. It's almost like their legs are touching. And then we see two more people come up and stand in front of them to join the conversation. A man and a woman who appear to be friends with the guy who had been sitting there with Tiffany. Now, the next thing we see, they're all walking through the parking lot. We're getting like another camera vantage point yeah. of what's going on in the parking lot. Tiffany gets in the back driver's seat of this black looking sedan, which they can't really tell what it is at this moment. And they're like, obviously, we want to talk to those people. And that was around 2 a.m. So now this bar has an ID scanner and every patron who enters has to have their ID scan, which automatically takes a picture of it. So they find out that the woman who was with them is Michelle Warden Brosey. And one of the men was identified as Josh Robinette. And the third man was Dan Brunel. Now, Michelle owned a Cadillac that looked just like the sedan they all piled into on that security camera. But Michelle has no record. What they do know is she's a single mom of a 13-year-old girl, and she works at a mortuary outside of Portland. What's it like working at a mortuary? Yeah. I never saw Six Feet Under. I don't think I could do it. Well, I mean, I believe that, like, your soul is still out there, so I believe those places are probably deeply haunted, but that's just, like, me. Great. You know? Have you ever watched... The seatbelt psychic. No. The guy who drives around in his car. This woman gets in the car. He's like a medium and a psychic. And he's like, I'm so sorry. You have like 200 dead people with you right now. And she's like, well, I am a mortician. He was like, that's it. I'm going to have to ask you to get out. It's too much for me right now. Oh, my gosh. If you haven't looked him up on TikTok, look him up. He's called You this have 200 people yeah. with you? Yeah. He's like, there's like 200 people with you right now. What is going on? He like started like freaking out. 
By the way, I'm going to see a medium. I know you told I'm me. I'm so excited. What if your dad comes through? He's like, listen, I never met you in the real life, but uh-huh. I'd like to talk to you in the afterlife. I'd like you to tell my gay son something. Uh-huh. And I'd like you to tell him that the most embarrassing moment I ever had in my <laughs> life is when that little fruity pants sang the wind beneath my wings, and I will never fucking forget it. I'm like, okay. Thanks, Mr. Taranto. This is my medium session. Thank you. I appreciate it. So now Josh and Dan, those two guys, they have a track record. They both have assault charges against them in Oakland, California, where they live. So now the detectives are like searching for all three. I know. Oakland. I know. Straight up from the nickel dime. This is the most Oakland we've had. We have only had like two episodes. I this know. Is the sa- yeah. And Oakland, listen, it's a big city. A lot of crime happens in Oakland. Yeah. But we don't like to focus on it, apparently. We'd like to focus on the South. So there you go. <laughs> As authorities search for this trio, Tiffany's family holds a memorial service for her back in Crane, Oregon. A lot of people showed up, and people from all walks of life, you know, whose lives she affected and who cared about her. So during this time, a memorial service is held for Tiffany, and we see a video of her talking about her idea of spirituality and saying how we are not in control of everything and having to trust that everything will be okay. That really struck me because that is a conversation I have with myself constantly. I watch people drive themselves nuts focusing on what they cannot control instead of what they can control. And it's a wall I run into sometimes. And I have to remind myself there are some things that you have to let go of. You are not in charge of certain things. What you can control is your attitude or your approach or how you treat people. But letting go in a world where we're so used to having control, you know, we live in America, I can order something and have it delivered tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And there's certain things that you cannot control. It's a conversation I have with myself often. Mm -hmm. Do you? I mean, I've been having the don't sweat the small stuff, it's only small stuff conversation with myself a lot. Yeah. Because like, big picture, it really like doesn't matter. Yeah. Like the number one thing, like when people on their deathbed are asked, they're like, what would you have done differently? And they're just like, Worried less. Yeah. I mean, also, one of the four agreements is not taking things personally. I always am telling myself that probably has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. What are the other three agreements? Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not go to New Jersey. While you're you're in the hotel bed next to your Uh best friend. Yes. Yes. Uh, Thou shalt not get on your cell phone while you're at Disneyland with your best friend. Because she will make 700 stories about it. That's right. Those are good agreements. (laughs) I didn't think we were going to find him. I thought basically we were dead in the water. This could have gone on for weeks and weeks, if not months. Then, three days after the APB is put out, Detective Robertson gets an urgent call. I was actually headed home at about 11 o'clock at night to call it for the day. And I say, hey, we we found the Cadillac. It's at this motel in Kelso, Washington. So... One night, Detective Robinson, he's heading home, and he gets a call that that Cadillac was found. And it was found at a motel in Kelso, Washington. Now, they have video surveillance from that motel of Michelle, and she was with her daughter along with one of the other men that was seen with Tiffany that night, Josh Robinette. And they checked into that hotel on October 11th, and that was three days after Tiffany was murdered. And Dan Brunel, the third suspect, is not with them. Yeah. So the morning after they check in, both suspects, Josh and Michelle, are arrested, brought back to Fairview for questioning. But there's still no sign of Dan Brunel and also Michelle's 
daughter isn't there either. Also, the murder weapon is missing. Yeah. So they questioned her for like two hours and they were like, all right, we're going to need you to think all the way back to Monday. And if that were me, I'd be like, I, I can. Are I you can kidding? Give, I can give you three hours ago. I, I can maybe give you an hour and a half ago. I can barely remember what I ate for breakfast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Do you remember what you ate? I don't. I don't. And she's like, I know exactly where I was. And I was with Josh. And She's like, he's my fiance, but we had just broken up. I was like, oh, good. Yeah. This relationship is already going swimmingly. I can tell you that right now. I mean, it's weird. She's like, we got back together. We're supposed to get married on October 13th. And I don't know. 2013. Yeah. I'm not superstitious, but that seemed like a lot of 13s. (laughs) I am not superstitious at all. I'm a little bit stitious. Wait, say that again. I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little bit stitious. Okay. It's an an office joke. Michelle then admits she and Josh got married a few days earlier than planned and just hours after police found Tiffany's body. When she told me that initially, that was another weird concern because I thought that if they had gotten married, they wouldn't be able to testify against one another. Uh, So that could have complicated our case legally. The entire time that I'd been speaking with Michelle, uh, John Harrington was speaking with Josh Robinette. So they got married a little earlier than they expected. Like, the day after Tiffany was found. Red flag? Well, because the thing is, is if they're married, they wouldn't be able to testify against each other. That was like a major concern for detectives. Also, I learned something. Because I didn't know that that was a thing. That you can't be forced to testify against... Your spouse. Mm -hmm. Is it just spouses? No, I think it's all like next of kin, like mothers and children and stuff. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. But I mean, spoiler alert, that wasn't the case. They're not that smart. So they are speaking with Josh in another room who is also giving details of that night. And he's like, we went to a strip club. It was called Thanks for the Memories. (laughs) And they were kind of like doing like a faux makeshift bachelor party. And the reason Michelle's daughter wasn't at the hotel is because her dad picked her up. And that detective was like, yeah, I'm probably going to want to talk to her. So now Josh says, I don't remember the name of the places I went to. I was wasted. But when they put that picture of Dan in front of him, he's like, oh, yep, I know who that is. That's Dan. Dan the man. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it turns out they are co-workers. Yeah. And also Josh now knows that the cops know there was a third person. So when asked about the night, Josh says, yeah, not much happened. We met some chick. That's about it. Right. So now he's admitted that he met a woman. Right. And so they asked Michelle and she was like, yeah, I don't know. I was super hammered. It was his makeshift bachelor party, whatever. And they're like, do you remember her? And she's like, "Mm." Not really. And they're like, okay, well, let me just like refresh your memory really quickly. Here's a picture of you and her sitting outside of that club smoking and hanging out. And they show that picture to Josh and Josh is like, ah, no, does not ring a bell. And then Michelle was like, oh, yeah, I think she got into my car now that you mentioned that. What? This man doesn't remember her and you don't remember. Now, listen, in my 20s, I had some drunk nights where things were a little fuzzy. Sure. From alcohol. I've never had the fuzzy brain from weed for some reason. But alcohol, yes. Fuzziness. I don't know. I remember. But you don't remember a whole human being in your automobile? Yeah. 
Come on, Josh. Yeah. Lie a little better. Michelle starts to crack under the pressure, okay? Because Josh is not confirming that the woman they hang out with was Tiffany, but Michelle is like, okay, I got some things to say. Where do you go from there? We all piled in my car. Everything was getting ready to close. So we're okay. like, oh, let's go party somewhere else. And, and it's, like I said, it's kind of cloudy. Okay. Getting like seeing really strange things, like biblical, biblical stuff. Things. So Josh says that Tiffany became belligerent. She just like lost it. She was quoting the Bible and being really argumentative. Right. And so they pull into a park, and Josh and Michelle get out of the car, and they go into the woods, and you know they have a nice walk, and they talk about the new Little Mermaid movie, mm-hmm. and just you know catch up on some some philosophy. No, they go to Pound Town in a fuck truck. Who does that? Yeah, they literally pulled into a park so they could go off and like literally not that far away just have sex. Yeah. Okay. And so they left Dan alone with Tiffany where Josh could hear them arguing back and forth. And I will say that alcohol ignites that sort of, what are you fighting about that? You know, you, they were strangers. Yep. They didn't know each other and they were fighting. Who the fuck knows what they were fighting about? It was just a drunk fight. Sure. And then Josh says that Dan yelled to Josh and Michelle, let's go. And he says they left Tiffany alone and alive in the park. But to prove that Josh and Michelle are lying, they need the murder weapon, and they need their third accomplice, Dan. Yeah. At this time in this part of the country, they were handing out Young Down Bitch Awards, which was really nice because they only do that once a year. And Michelle's daughter enters the competition, and she wins, and she wins by a landslide. Because the cops were like, do you know anything about this and about your mom? And Michelle's daughter was like, how much time do you have? Well, because she says they own two guns and those guns are nicknamed Bonnie and Clyde. What a fucking amateur show. Bonnie and Clyde. Give me a break. She even gave them descriptions of the gun. One was a revolver and the other was a semi-automatic pistol. And they knew they were looking for either a 38 or a 357, So they know they have the right guy. So Michelle's daughter tells detectives Michelle, her mom, was bringing the guns to Josh and Josh in turn was going to sell one of them to Dan, take that money and use it to get married. Who sells a gun to get married? Yeah, this down bitch, she had all of the answers. She's like, do you need any DNA? I have a Ziploc full of discarded fingernails and a lock of his hair if you need it. She was not playing around. She gave the cops every answer that they asked for. Well, now they sit down with Michelle again and say, hi, Michelle, we know everything. And you know who told us? Your daughter. Yeah. And so Michelle is gooped and gagged. Yeah. And she's like, we know about Bonnie and Clyde. Yep. We got your fingernails. She had a lock of hair. We thought that was super weird, but we grabbed it anyway. Yep. And she told us about Bonnie and Clyde and not about the failed musical Mm. starring a fallen Broadway princess, Laura Osnes. Yeah. The guns, my man. So then, now that Michelle realizes that her daughter has sold her up the river for a carton of Luckies, she's like, can I talk to my daughter, please? And they don't want that to happen. They want to keep the pressure on her. And after a few hours, Michelle really cracks because she's like, okay, while me and fiance Josh were hooking up, we heard a single gunshot. But she doesn't know where the gun is. And she's like, I never saw the gun. Where's the gun? I I never saw it. 
What uh, is she referencing there when she's talking about Bonnie and Clyde? Guns. How do you know that? Because I nicknamed them. Okay, but you only talked about one gun. Yeah, that would be my gun. Okay, what about the other gun? The other gun is the one that I sold, Dan. My big cover-up. And when they sit down with Josh, he's like, yes, I know about Bonnie and Clyde. I nicknamed them. Great. Yeah. Josh, so you're the idiot who nicknamed two guns Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, and they were like, Great. did you want to mention this earlier? Or, right. or no, you're good. And they were like, why didn't you tell us? And he's like, well, they were illegal guns. Yeah. I had two illegal guns. Yeah. Dan had the gun the night of Tiffany's murder. And he says, like you said, I didn't tell you because they're illegal. But also, I didn't think that my friend was going to turn around and use the illegal gun that I just sold him to shoot someone. So now Josh has told the cops that Dan is the shooter. And so they show him a picture of Tiffany, what we assume is probably the crime scene photo. And he has a really, really visceral response. And he is like, where is the gun? And... Nobody knows. So then while they're sitting with fiance Josh, they're like, okay, cool. Why don't we just like call Dan, call him right now. And he's like, and say what? And they're like, ask him about the gun, talking code, do whatever. Now we hear the call. Yep. Hello. Hey, what up, Dan? Yo, Dylan. Yo, too. Not too much. So Clyde made it back safe then. Yeah. Cool. He's good. Yeah, everything cool? Yeah, as far as I know. Right on. Everything cool with you? Yeah, I mean, you know, feel a little up, but... What, that chick? It is so bad and so uncomfortable that anybody with half a brain would know that there was something up. He was like, hello, uh... There, Dan Daniel. Uh, how <laughs> is the ra- rain in in Spain? Uh, <laughs> is it on the plane? <laughs> it is the most. You cannot get somebody who is not prepared to have a conversation to get someone to confess. Well, the cops were like, "Why don't you say this?" And fiance Josh, being the brilliant man he is, he's like, "I can be smoother than that." So, did are you going to the Taylor Swift? Concert? Yeah. Like, did you, when you had, let's talk about guns. How about crimes? Have you committed any illegal <laughs> art crimes? Are you an outlaw? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking if mm-hmm. we should play a game where we confess the bad things we've done. Yeah. You go first. <laughs> also, I'm... Iday, ooh yay, ill k, a, urson pay. It's so it's bad. horrible. I sat there just holding my face, going what? Because it was real. We were listening to the real conversation. It was horrible. It was more painful than sitting through speed too. Okay, it was so painful. The detective says, "Well, Dan realized he shouldn't be saying this over the phone, so he got off." And I'm like, "Yeah, folks, do not become a criminal, especially if you have all the sense of a chicken laying eggs in a snake pit." Yeah. What the fuck? However, the good thing about this is that they were able to track Dan's location and he is back in Oakland. They got his address. He's at his girlfriend's apartment in Oakland and they go and arrest him. I guess my main question is 
Did you guys go to the In-N-Out by the airport? Oh, God. It's so good. <laughs> and we see his interrogation, and he was really polite, Yep. really quiet. And I have to say, he seemed uncomfortable, but he was not menacing at all. It was a very, very weird interrogation tape. It was very mild-mannered. Yeah. And immediately, Dan says, I hung out with Josh and Michelle, I got extremely wasted. I have very little memory of that night, and that's about it. And then he says, I didn't know where I was or who I met. And then they show him a picture of Tiffany, and then they show him a picture of her remains, and he also has this very strong reaction to that. And that's when Detective Harrington really started pushing him hard Yeah, he was like, have you ever heard of a thrill kill, Josh? And he's like, a what? He's like, you know, where people just kill someone for the thrill of it. And all of a sudden, he got real, real quiet. His whole countenance changed. And he started looking down, and they were, like, pushing, like, is that what happened? What can I possibly say to them that could be any kind of a consolation for that? Like, it's not going to make it better. Dude, that girl is gone forever. And it was that response that gave the detectives their motive. They knew they had landed on it. This was most likely a thrill kill, which is... What the fuck? Yeah. And so they're like, great, let's start from the beginning. And he did. He was like, I feel like Josh and Michelle had this planned out because they were like, come with us. We'll give you a ride. Michelle was driving drunk really fast. And then Josh handed Dan the gun. Like, in the car. Well, it's so weird. There's a lot of back and forth. Like, one was saying that, oh, we were just going to shoot the gun out the window. Like, that was the plan. But then Dan says that Tiffany saw the gun and was like, oh, a gun. Why don't you shoot me with it? Right. Now, I have a hard time believing that. The family also, will get to that, had a hard time believing it. We also don't know how much alcohol she consumed. This is true. And you can really lose your wits and your sense I mean, alcohol, I've done some of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life under the influence of alcohol. Same. Absolutely. So this story is absolute hearsay, but I'm just saying that people, you know, especially drinking the amount she was drinking, she was suffering from alcohol abuse disorder. So we don't know. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound in someone's right mind, but I don't think she was in her right mind. Well, he also says she was screaming at me, like saying I was chicken, I wouldn't do it screaming at me to kill her. So they keep driving. They end up at Blue Lake Park, which is about 20 minutes from the bar that they were all at. And so they park. He says, Tiffany got out, stumbled to the ground where she looked up at him and said, go ahead, shoot me. I want you to do it. And then he says she got really quiet. This is Dan's story. Now, here's the thing. If they were looking to do that to someone, a woman by herself in a bar who was clearly very intoxicated, There probably was a world in which they thought we could do this and get away with it because they felt she was disposable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, who's going to come looking for her? Yeah. It's very sad. Uh, Watching the reenactment of this was hard for me. Yeah. But see, there is one thing that has to be said. Now, we mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, that Tiffany was found with her credit cards in her hand. Yes. So was she saying, don't shoot, here, take my money, Obviously, it wasn't a robbery because they didn't take any of her stuff. Right. Why was her credit cards in her hand? Well, that's the biggest flaw in his story. Yeah. You know, saying she wanted to die, she wanted to die. So I'm not trying to be funny, but like, what was she going to give you her credit cards in exchange for killing her? That doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. Yeah. Detectives leave Dan Brunell alone for a few minutes, giving him time to collect his thoughts as the camera keeps running. 
Way to f yourself, dude. Way to completely f yourself. You just gave yourself 25 to life. Now, while Dan is in his interrogation, the officers leave the room and obviously the camera is rolling, which you get so much information when they leave the room. And he's like, basically, great. You just got yourself 25 to life. Yep. Way to fuck yourself, dude. So they recover the murder weapon, but they don't tell us how, which I thought was odd. Yeah. Like they don't tell us if he handed it over. We never find that out. I don't know why. But the bullets in the gun match the one found in Tiffany's hair. Yeah. And they tell the family and the family was like, so was it Bill? And they're like, no, no. actually. Yeah. I, I know. And they were shocked. They're like, oh, shit. And the family was like, we don't know any of these people. We don't know who these people are. We don't know if they were friends with Tiffany or knew Tiffany. We don't know anything. But Sister Jennifer and Mama Kate do not believe the shoot me story at all. No. and. Here's the thing. This is wild. The prosecution runs into complications with Dan's confession. Because at one point, Dan said, I feel like I should have someone here while I'm talking to you. He never said the words, I want an attorney. But those moments of the interrogation with Dan wondering if he should have someone there were up for debate. Mm -hmm. So they ended up giving Dan a plea deal because of that. Because they couldn't use his confession in court. I did not see that coming. Nor me. That is very, very interesting. Because he said, I feel like I should have someone with me. But he didn't say, I want a lawyer. Because the minute they say lawyer, boom, everything stops. Everything gets shut down. So I'm really curious how that got through and how they were able to offer him a plea deal. Because without that confession, they could only charge him with first-degree manslaughter. And that takes 18 years. Yep. And so they also make a deal with Michelle. She's convicted of hindering prosecution and gets one year in jail. Now, fiancé Josh, he receives the same charge, but gets a much longer sentence. I don't know why. I do not know why. I do not know what kind of weird little thing was going on in my brain. I saw this coming. Did you? I don't know why. Yeah. Well, when the detectives were interviewing Michelle's daughter, her 13-year-old daughter, she told them that Josh had been sexually assaulting her. And it was a charge that Josh pled guilty to. And he got a total of 10 years in prison. So this whole thing is crazy. The small silver lining of this is that Michelle's daughter was able to escape because of this, that situation. Not without a fucking heap load of trauma. I don't know why. As soon as they talked to the daughter, I was like, he did something to the daughter. I don't know why. And and then, of course, I'm always like, Ellen, calm down. Don't go to the worst case scenario all the time. And then when they said he got more time, I literally was like, oh, my God, he sexually abused her. Yeah. I just fucking knew it. I don't know what it was in my witchy body. It's really sad. And so Tiffany's family, they finally have answers, but they don't have her. Yeah. And it's it's quite a sad ending. The idea that someone would just kill for fun. What is wrong with you? Yeah. I, you know, and I get it. It happens all the time. I just again, like I cannot fathom enjoying hurting another person. Yeah, and I do understand when people are under the influence of certain things, repercussions aren't on your brain, things don't seem real, but you did it. It is real. It's very, very real. Somebody lost their life, and it was so unnecessary. But the thing that I came back to is Josh and Michelle 
lying that first time. If you had absolutely nothing to do with it, you hindered an investigation from being completed. You know, it's like, why did you do that? I feel like she got off really, really easily. A year? Yeah, she definitely did. I mean, I think that they knew, like, you're there, you're present when someone is killed and you don't report it. Like, I think that they were like, they're going to think all three of us were involved. I mean, they were all involved. But you know what I mean. I don't have the mind of a criminal. Yeah. I just got a big gay mind. Yeah, you just have the mind of a dodo bird. (laughs) A very cute dodo bird. Dodo bird. Say something funny. Well, I'm not lying when I say Most of the time, I don't remember what I had for breakfast. Let me check my titties. (laughs) Hold on one second. (laughs) No, no breakfast. Just a little bit of fruit roll up from last night. Wonderland murders you're going to get out of us. Stay tuned for our next show, which will be... We haven't decided yet. We have not decided yet, but you will be the first to know. If you have not subscribed to the Drama Club, please do so. And also... Please follow us on social media. Tell them where they can find us, Joey. You can find us on all social media platforms at I Think Not Pod. You can also find Ellen on Instagram at Ellen Marsh with a Y. And you can find me at It's Joey Taranto. Yes, follow us, love us, share our stories, rate us on iTunes, give us a five-star review and say a little sentence about why you love us so that people who love true crime just like you and love to laugh a little bit can find us. And until then, thank you so much for listening, for being a down bitch. I love you, Joey. I love you, Gila Lamar. I love you, down bitches. Love y'all. Bye. Bye. Jesus forgot us. Okay, what sentence did you want to form there? Because you said like five half sentences. I know. It's so hard. It's hard being in a podcast with me. I'm sorry. Sometimes I get lost. uh, One sentence? Let's find. Shut the fuck up, Ellen. (laughs) Does that work? Does that work for you? The reason her daughter wasn't at the hotel was because her. Wait, the reason her daughter wasn't at the hotel when they went to arrest. Sorry. The reason Michelle's daughter. Do you want to make a sentence? (laughs) Do you want to make a sentence? Just any sentence? Fair. I can laugh at myself. (laughs) You take it so personally. I have a crumb in my bra. (laughs) Oh, look, breakfast. Oh, officer, I remember now. I found this crumb in my bra. I I remember now. It was a brand muffin because I have not been having normal BMs. I've been trying to get more brand and fiber in my diet. I remember. Case closed. I, I Jury's jur- adjourned. Court's adjourned. Let the jury go. Brand muffin. <laughs> you know what's so funny is you say I notice everything. Like I notice like little things. You are very much into noticing environments. <laughs> you always like to be like, and it looks like a Hobby Lobby. Do you do a Sharon Bag of Bones or a Bobby Lynn impression? Go ahead. You got a bottle, bottle with a tool taker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what about Bobby Lynn? <laughs> oh my god, that was better than your Sharon! You know what? I don't appreciate the way you talking to me right now. I don't like the way you are mocking me. You little shit. Just because you think you're from 